0: What is up, Thrive Tribe? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am your host and Chief Energy Officer, Jeremy Abramson. And my oh my, am I excited for today's show with the one and only Keith Farazi. And I had heard a lot about Keith's work and his powerful presence on stage speaking to massive organizations, companies, and events. I watched his Ted talk, and I was just so impressed by this man's knowledge, but also more importantly, his intention, the way that he operates on a day-to-day basis. And I was able to really witness that when I met Keith in person in October, 2020, on an ayahuasca retreat with One Heart Journeys. and. I have so much respect and admiration for this man, and I'm so honored to have him on the show. And for those who don't know, Keith is a number one New York Times bestselling author of Who's Got Your Back and Never Eat Alone. And his newest book, Leading Without Authority, is also extremely transformational. Keith is a frequent contributor to publications like the Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Forbes, Fortune 500, and all of the other publications like that. Keith's 20-year history of transforming C-suite executive teams has made him an agent of transformation and among the world's greatest and most sought-after coaches. So I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with the one and only Keith Ferrazzi. Jeremy, thanks a lot. I was looking forward to this. Yeah, brother. I really appreciate you taking the time. And just to provide a little context, we met at the One Heart journey in October back in Mexico. You were one of the people facilitating. And I'm curious to know, Keith, with all of the leadership training that you've done the last couple decades, what has been the biggest takeaway from your personal medicine journeys that you've integrated into what you
1: do on a day-to-day basis. Wow, that's a lot. Um, it's interesting. The other day, I curated a list of the of the things that I've done in my life that have given me the greatest growth and advancement. Um, you know, starting with uh, just very simple therapy and coaching that I've gained from one-on-one conversations with coaches and therapists in my life. Um, uh, to you know, Tony Robbins retreats like Date with Destiny. who's a good buddy of mine. Um, Landmark Forum, which is a really pivotal, uh, a really pivotal transformational technology set of intellectual property to go to. It's a fantastic weekend. Vipassana um, meditation. Um, you know, if I were to go through each one of them and sort of try to take a takeaway, Vipassana, for instance. You know, I remember on day seven of a 10-day sit, if anybody uh, feels that meditation is calling you and you're not quite sure, this is a 10-day silent meditation retreat, and um, and it's free. You Your fees have already been paid for by the person who came before you, and if you can afford it when you're done, you pay, and it pays for the next person. So, so this is fully approachable to anybody. Um, And I remember on day seven sitting there and, you know, at the beginning, when you're sitting there and an hour at a time, two hours at a time, fidgeting, you get back pain, all of those kind of things. And your mind is monkey mind. And yet on day seven, I sat there in such bliss that when the hour had ended of this particular stint of meditation, you do 10 hours of meditation a day there. um, I didn't want to leave. And I sat there through the break into the next one hour sit and it was the most blissful i've ever been um you know i used to you know when i was growing up i had a lot of lot of uh drama and tumult in my life and i used to always think you know what should i do if if it all gets just too much yeah you know and unfortunately some people choose to take their own lives Um, and for me, I always used to say that I would, I would go to Fiji, you know, somewhere I just go to a beach, you know, it's like, shit, if, if everything I've ever dreamed of isn't going to happen, if everything falls to shit, then at least I'll just go and I'll sit on a beach somewhere and live a meager existence. That was always my, that was always my pull the ripcord. But on day seven, sitting there, um, I realized that there's another place I can go, which is in myself and And even though I don't have a daily meditative practice, I wish I did i've not not given myself that discipline i I know because of that moment, I know that there's a place that I can always go inside of myself to find peace, and it exists, and I could find it again if I really needed to um you know then of course, Jeremy, in the last years i I found plant medicine and the importance of ayahuasca sixteen sits later um and I'm about to go do three more with One Heart down in uh, down in Costa Rica. Um, I've gotten the greatest awakenings of my life, the greatest awareness. I was watching a wonderful uh, YouTube video the other day, just about the brain science of of, uh, of plant medicine and generally in psychedelics and what it does. And what it really does is it. You probably spoken to your Thrive community about this already, but it it really. <clears throat> It softens the area of your brain that drives your ego, and it quiets your ego. and As a result, it allows repressed memories to come to the forefront because what happens is your ego has tamped down challenging memories of your past that you don't want to deal with, but that, instead, you create these hacks around them of insecurities and personality disorders and and avoidance. But then in a a journey, it quiets the thing that was tapping them down, keeping you safe, and then allows these things to come to the forefront so you can deal with them and and soothe them. So, um, you know, listen, I think I've always been a seeker. And, you know, I just just ripped off a few of the things that I've gone to in my life, including, you know, I didn't mention spirituality and prayer. Um, And all of these things have brought me now, my first reaction to your question, and I'm going to get back to it here, And when you said, what have you learned the most? I'd probably say what I've learned the most is chill the fuck out mm-hmm. and to be the best leader possible, get out of ego, get out of self, bring your inner self to the forefront, your authentic self, and that allows you to really see truth. Which I believe if you are guided by truth, you'll you'll have everything you want to in life.
0: Wow, I appreciate that,
1: Keith. And sorry, that yeah. was like eight minutes long.
0: I, from the first question, I apologize. No, that's, that, that, that's exactly why I love podcasting. I know I'm doing a good job if I speak very little. And mm-hmm. my intention is to really just hand over the mic to you. and um, I'm curious to know. Uh, First of all, I think it's really important that you mentioned that you tapped into these other modalities before plant medicine, because oftentimes I think people hear about some of these quote unquote miracles that happen, you know, whether it's psilocybin or ayahuasca, and people think it's going to be the magic pill that settles everything and solves all their problems. But you really have to implement these other practices, whether that's movement, nutrition, you know, stillness. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. And I'm wondering, you mentioned Ego, you mentioned the default mode network. And just based on what I know about you, you know, going to Yale, Harvard Business School, I think you were the youngest CMO at a Fortune 500 company when, when uh, you got that offer from Starwood. And I'm curious to know how much of your identity was tied into all of that external success uh, and the titles and and the accolades if you don't mind speaking
1: about that yeah 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 like i said when we were talking in advance everything's on the table um i would say when i first went to date with destiny uh with tony robbins there's a wonderful segment of his work where he asks us to ask ourselves the following question what is your primary question What is your primary question? And what he's asking is, what's the question that drives you? And often that question that drives you is not, how can I be happiest? Um, For me, it was, what are they thinking of me? What are they Mm -hmm. thinking of me? And, you know, I would say that, of course, as a result, the accolades, the awards, um, they are so important to us. And. Interesting, you know, I know as you do some of the most successful, well respected leaders in the world, many of whom, you know, I just mentioned a moment ago. And it's so interesting how so many of us are still driven by that primary question that question of what are they thinking of me? Or um, am I good enough? And the reality is that. That's our greatest work. Our greatest work is to is to soften those self-critical questions in our lives, and to begin to shift those questions to the things that really bring us um, the most happiness. You know, like you know, am I happy, or uh, how can I be of service? How can I help? Um, and curiosity, you know, into other people. Um, I think there's a great opportunity for all of us to begin to shift away from externalities into, you know, into probably why God put us on this planet in the first place more, more directly. Mm. And where do you see, where do you see your
0: role going, you know, working with some of the top leaders in the world at some of the biggest companies, what, what do you see that trajectory like, and, and do you find yourself being more fulfilled by the work you're doing now, as opposed to, uh, five, 10 years ago, now that you've had, now, now that you have this whole new set of tools, and uh, perspective, and then i'd also love for you to touch on the psychedelic division of coaching that you recently tapped into
1: yeah thanks um, well I, I think there's three questions embedded in and what you 're asking one of them is i 'll sort of look at, sort of take a timeline of it. The first question is um, you know am I really fulfilled now doing the coaching that i 'm doing based on who i become hundred percent i mean as i I had a session on Friday with a company that everybody would know the name of. And um, and, and we work with the executive teams of these companies. We we sit with the CEO and the executive team over a period of time, once a month for anywhere from two hours to a day. And my job is to coach them to be their best, and I created a word for it, their best co-elevating self co-elevating self, a group of people committed to a mission, but also committed to each other's success, but also committed to not letting each other fail, to feedback and criticism that's respectful, that wrestling ideas, pushing each other higher, making sure that you're giving each other feedback, not only on ideas, but also on each other's competencies, which is really core to the ego, to be able to get a group of individuals Critical and 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 supportive of going higher. So that people, when I use the word critical, it's a critique. It's it's not eviscerating and it's not demeaning. It's just elevating. So we work with this construct. We have a very very specific methodology that we use that we teach our coaches to deploy to these companies. But then most importantly, we teach these companies on how to adopt the coaching for themselves. Anyway, on Friday I had a session. With um, uh, with the team, and boy, did I go off script. Um, we have a very distinct methodology, but I was just feeling the need for a shift here, and I and I trusted my heart, and I went directly to first of all the CEO and asked for permission to to be very direct and candid to both. This into this leader's team and then to this leader themselves. Um, and we got really wrong. I mean we got really raw. There were people screaming at each other, being childlike in their insecurity. people were triggered, but at the same time, my job was to hold this together and hold this kind of conflict in, 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 in an opportunity not to be fearful of it and run away, which is what the leader had previously been doing. Mm. But we got it out. We got the, we, we got the smelly, stinky uh, elements that were in the shadows of this company. We got it out. And my job was to, is to move them through it to a place of forgiveness. There's a wonderful chapter in my new book, which is called Leading Without Authority, um, that basically puts all the responsibility back on each and every one of us. There's Mm -hmm. not a single one of us that isn't responsible for the world around us um, if we take responsibility. And so the chapters really focuses on a wonderful AA saying called, it's all on you. It's all on me. And it doesn't mean that I'm not doing it in community. It means that I don't abdicate responsibility for constantly Mm -hmm. moving and elevating the people around us. So I created this word called Um, co-elevation. I could not have... I could not have done what I did on Friday if it hadn't been for the 16 ayahuasca sits, the Tony Robbins session, the landmark forum, um, you know, work, the spirituality work, my religion, my faith, my prayers, my meditation, all of that. Right. I mean, you know, as we work hard on ourselves, we get permission to work to co-elevate with others. Mm. Collaboration, coaching doesn't happen until you really, really look inside and say, what's my part? Constantly, constantly, what's my part? And that's the most difficult thing for us to do. Um, you know, It doesn't mean, by the way, that you can't hold other people accountable for their actions. But you just have to be, and it doesn't mean that you don't walk away from relationships that aren't serving you. But it does mean that you see and you recognize your part in, in the process. Too often, we, we don't leave our side of the table clean first before we start commenting on cleaning up another person's side of the table. This happens so much in relationships. Got to keep your side of the table clean. I remember in my my former partner, I was uh, together with him for 10 years. and. Um, and it was around year seven, I had, I had become very critical of the relationship, and I had recognized that until I was able to take 100% accountability that my side of the table was perfectly clean, mm. that I didn't have the right to point the fingers at the other side of the table. It took me three years. It took me three years. And then at that time, we were able to actually exit the relationship in a healthy fashion. Um, but I took three years to get my side of the table clean um, in that relationship. We would only take that that kind of effort. So the first part of your question was <laughs> how, how do how does the work that I've done influence the work that I'm doing? Yeah. The second part of your question was, where is this work going? And I do have the blessing today of coaching teams that I'd only dreamed of coaching, you know, uh, working with brands. That I mean, when I was a kid, I couldn't even have imagined my dad was an unemployed steel worker, United Auto Workers, steelworker in Pittsburgh. Um, and today I get the blessing of working with, you know, the General Motors executive team as it moves from a traditional mechanical engineering company to a software firm. Um, and what does that look like with competition like Google and Amazon? And, you know, let alone of course Tesla, but still, I mean, the the forward is not the primary focus of our competition today. Um, and then looking at these other organizations that I just, you know, brings tears to my eyes. You know, if my old man was still alive to know what impact the work that uh, his son is able to make and in, in a methodology for these companies. So, but where do I want to go next? I mean, i I've, I'm writing a lot these days on governments. Um, mm. I still, you know, focus on this. I also, You know, so I I wrote an interesting piece, I think, in Fast Company about the Biden administration and how its work needs to be more co-elevating as well, stitching together the country from the political scene. I've worked with companies, countries in in the Middle East, focused on the divisiveness there, not only amongst themselves, but amongst the West and how do they begin to build a global community. the, the work, as well as is interesting to me, which is why I was excited to have this conversation, also can go out to everybody. So, I've been working at a rarefied space at the most powerful companies and organizations in the world, the World Bank, et cetera. But I'm very interested in how it lands on every one of us. How does co-elevation land in each and of our lives? Because for me, I mean, you've met my new partner. I don't want to embarrass him or bring him into the public eye by saying his name, but um, you met my new partner and you know I would never be able to be in love the way I am today if it wasn't for the work that I was doing in the workplace and designing how relationships work in the workplace and now how that's cascaded into my personal life. I put a hurdle that said I will never be in a, a, an emotional romantic relationship until it can be fully co-elevating. And I'm in one today. And that to me is very humbling because, you know, after 54 years, I'll be 55 next month in July. um, You know, I'm I'm finally getting it. (laughs) It's taken a long time, but I'm finally getting it for the most important parts of my life, where where co-elevation plays.
0: Yo, what up fam? I am sorry to interrupt today's show, but you know how much I love mushrooms both medicinal mushrooms and psychedelic mushrooms. These have played an instrumental role in my health, in my healing journey. And that's why I'm so passionate about them. You know, I've been taking the ultimate shrooms every single day for the last two years. And this is a blend of eight medicinal mushrooms that is designed to take your mental cognition, focus, and energy levels to the next level, okay? So if you're interested in trying that out for 30 days, go to liveultimate.com slash podcast and give it a shot. See how taking this medicine impacts your health, impacts your brain for one month. That's all I'm asking. Give it a shot for one month because the last thing you want to ask yourself on your deathbed is what if what if i would have prioritized my health what if i would have listened to that crazy guy jeremy and taken his advice so that's what i gotta say for you check those out give it a shot 30 days and yeah let me know how it goes let's get back to today's show i love that and it kind of segues into something else i wanted to ask you keith because you are Always up to something new. You're always building, you're always growing the business, always building the brand and the team around you. How do you approach work life balance, Mm. work life integration? I'd love to know how you approach these things because you're one of the healthiest guys I know, one of the most fit people I know as well. And you manage to address all of these areas um, and give them time and give them
1: love. So, how do you make all that happen? Well, you know, I I think there's a couple of thoughts. First of all, I used to write, when I wrote Never Read Alone, my first book, uh, there was a chapter, I think it was called Balance is Bullshit. I don't think I said bullshit. I think it was balance is BS or something like that. Or or maybe, you know what? I think it was even tamer than that. I think it was um, um, blend, don't balance. Mm -hmm. If you you live your life where everything that's important in your life is like a, a slice of pie, right? Okay. This is how much, you know, think of a pie chart. This is how much time I'm putting to physical fitness. This is how much time I'm putting to mental well-being and, and, um, and spirituality. And this is how much time I'm putting to, to work, etc. Um, you can never get bigger than a piece of pie. Something's mm-hmm. got to give where if you live your life in a blended fashion, then you, they, the pieces of your life can start to overlap and expand. So, you know, last week, uh, you know, I, I asked my business partner who runs, you mentioned to me, the, uh, the new group we just started called Greenlight Psychedelics, which is coaching the burgeoning psychedelics industry on where it's going and its leadership teams. Um, I, I, um, I took all of the work that we've been doing in large organizations and how to coach an organize, how to coach a team into transformation. Mm-hmm. And I've done, I've given it to a partner in the middle market so that we can now coach any company um, of, of reasonable size with a scaled coaching model with multiple coaches that I now have that are at all different price points. Um, mm-hmm. I charge a certain price point that is really only affordable or approachable to the most wealthy and successful companies in the world, but then my team can do that in now the middle market. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've also started um, something, as I mentioned to you, Greenlight Psychedelics. I believe that the burgeoning psychedelic industry is going to be transformative for mental well-being, mental wellness, um, transformative to disease states like depression and others. And I want to make sure that we get it right. Um, Back in the 70s and 60s, the psychedelics industry did not get it right. and I don't think there's a threat to doing it harm like we did back then, where we took an incredibly powerful molecule that could truly rewire the brain in positive ways, and we turned it into a political, liberal, free love advocacy platform. And I'm not judging the decisions um, or the politics of anybody. And, and nor am I in, the, in the, what I'm saying, revealing my own. But what I'm saying is that this precious molecule, which is so powerful for PTSD, depression, and just general uh, emotional well being, that it was politicized and it didn't need to be. And we're not going to do that today. And I'm going to make sure that we work with these companies. I also started a ventures arm where new companies that are starting, um, either in the psychedelic space or more broadly, if we feel that a, an entrepreneur is starting a new company, um, we have a now group called FG Ventures or uh, Frozy Ventures, where similar, and I got this idea from Tony Robbins and Peter Diamandis, they both have this function where they adopt younger companies, and they give it their coaching, they give it their network, and they help these companies be successful, which companies can now apply for. And we've been doing that as well, which has been really exciting. So, yeah, I guess I keep busy in that way. But really, the question is, if there's a, if there's a precious set of intellectual property, like how do you bring co-elevation to a team? And how do you bring the, all of the books that I've written, first from Never Read Alone to Who's Got Your Back? to Leading Without Authority and the new book that will be coming out relatively soon, which is uh, Competing in the New Work World, focusing on this new principle called radical adaptability and how do we build radically adaptable organizations. All of these books, we want to make sure that I get this out to governments, middle market, and this new industry called the psychedelics industry, which is going to have an impact on the world and humanity, I truly believe. Mm. Keith, what is
0: i know i know we are running a little short on time but i'm curious to know you know with all of the stuff that you create and continue to create and and the clarity you have with your vision i'm wondering what are some of the potentially toxic thoughts limiting beliefs or harmful habits that you've had to let go of to really be able to step in fully to that power and i just want to preface this by saying i remember I think it was our last ceremony in Mexico, and you were just standing, shaking, dancing. And I remember you mentioned that you were feeling a lot of guilt and shame literally leave your body during that experience. So I guess my question is what were you letting go of that guilt and shame? What was that for? And then what are some other things that you've had to let go of to really be able to
1: fully step into your power? Well, I mean, historically, I can give you, you know, I could give you a chronological litany of the things that I've had to shed and let go of. In that particular instance, where you saw me off to the side, uh, I actually wasn't dancing. I was shaking off shame. And I was imagining where the darkness of shame still existed in my life. And what was the cause of it, and who was it around and with, and I uh, and as I as it came up, I was literally shaking it off my body, um, and and then after the ceremony, going back with to those individuals where shame existed and reconciling that. Um, one of them was the CEO of a very powerful company, who is a very religious individual. Um, you know, I happen to be a very spiritual Christian myself. Um, but I had been less than transparent about my sexuality with this individual. I wasn't lying, I just wasn't revealing. And I there's just there's no place for inauthenticity. I didn't I used to think that because a lot of people in the in the spiritual, uh, religious right realm are drawn to my teachings. Um they're born from the same kind of teachings of Christ and and buddha and Muhammad, so it's not surprising to me that my work will be attractive to to those who who have a basis in religion um you know it's it really is all about service and generosity and and the the challenge is i used to be worried that my sexuality which i was ashamed of for a long time in my life um would get in the way of my ability to serve those individuals and i don't want to have any prejudice get in the way of my ability to be of service, and so what I, the way I would manage that was just not speaking truth, and I would just avoid. I mean I would talk about my boys, which uh, I do have uh, my boys and my foster children and my adopted kids, and um, I would talk about my boys, but I wouldn't talk about my partner. and as a result of that, um, I thought I was serving. But I realized that I, there's, there are those last vestiges of authenticity that I had to shake off. Today, I think it's probably still around financial insecurity, believe it or not. Um, you know, I was, I, grew, I was brought up very poor and my, uh, there's always a tape that played in the back of my head, which was real at the time. I mean, there was a summer that I was homeless while I was at Yale <laughs> and lived in my car uh Throughout the summer um until uh, I was able to adopt some couch surfing techniques that work pretty well but um but that 's crazy shit and so you know today of of course i don 't have um financial instability, but it doesn 't mean that i don 't have financial insecurity that 's a mindset and 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 in my new partner, who happens to be an incredibly successful investor um has brought me a lot of awakening and awareness to that financial insecurity and a different way of thinking and a reengineering. I mean, amazing co-elevation partnership uh, as, as that one element. Um, ego is always an issue, uh, but ego isn't about superiority. Ego is really about fear of lack of respect um, and fear of worthiness. And an insecurity in general. So, you know, look, I the reason I continue to do the work, continue to visit the medicine, is because I know that it's it's a never-ending journey. Um, you know, our brains are wired the way they're wired, and um, you know, I think that there are there are practices. You know, you ask me how do I stay so fit and blend and balance. You know, I, I what I what I was saying earlier was last week I worked out with my business partner in in the green light coaching business, right? So that was our meeting. He was complaining to me that we hadn't been spending enough time together. And I said, well, come on, let's just go get a workout together. We spent two hours in a great workout together, uh, a run and a a, a weightlifting exercise. Um, I'm inviting people who are critical to me in my business down to... A new institution that we've created called Yearning Man. It's a playoff of Burning Man, but um, yearningman.com is this wonderful new institution that a group of us have founded that is trying to be a bridge. Not everybody can jump into Burning Man and can jump into one heart with both feet. So we wanted to create a bridge for entrepreneurs for uh, uh, to bridge the gap of conscious awakening. And so we've created this event called Yearning Man, which uh, we're going to this upcoming weekend and I've invited a, a bunch of my business associates to come with um, I'll be inviting CEOs from many of the companies that I work with to one heart um, these are all ways you live a more blended life, uh, which I think we all need to do more effectively and with that I grow and I learn and you know and I keep growing along with the coaching that I do, which is the best blessing you could possibly give it's just to, you know, continue to increase your own growth while bringing it to others.
0: I love it. Uh, Keith, what are, uh, before we wrap up, what are maybe three, three qualities, three traits that you believe every successful leader needs to have in this co-elevation process, if they really want to, again, grow their organizations and be successful and have harmony.
1: Yeah. The first thing a leader needs to focus on is the awareness that they have to grow in parallel with all of their team and that they need to shift the responsibility of leadership from their shoulders to that of the team leading each other. Mm. The power of co elevation exists when a leader awakens the team to lead. And that is the definition of co-elevation, which is committed to the mission, but committed to each other's success. And that's a different way to lead. I think another issue is the courage to go into the shadows and to pull uh, the, the stinky parts out of the shadow and into the light. Sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. And for a leader to have the courage to go into the shadows, pull things out of the shadows, and to begin to work uh, with them. That takes a lot of courage and takes a lot of humility because the leader created those shadows um, as well. And I feel that a great leader in the world today um, must elevate purpose, not just in their own mind, but constantly work to make sure that every soul in the organization and out through the value chain vendor community, customer community, truly understands why the purpose of this institution and, as a result, to have that be a motivator for, for doing transformational things. You don't do transformational things off of normal motivations, a paycheck, um, you know, a product. You do disproportionately transformational things because there's a purpose. Um, so, I would say those are, those, those are some of the ones that just pick up to me when I think about leading without authority, which is the new book. Um, it's very much about a leader shifting from traditional leadership competencies to team competencies, and particularly around co-elevation. Mm. Thank you for that question. Final two questions. Uh, number one. I keep asking a final two questions. But okay. Sorry. A, sorry. A for real. great design. tactic. It's a great all tactic. All right. All right.
0: All right so so uh out of everything you've accomplished up until now in your 54 years whether it's getting out of uh poverty essentially in pennsylvania to going to yale uh, to going to the harvard business school etc ted talks three best-selling books larry king live i mean is there one is there one or two of these moments that maybe stand out the most for you personally as maybe your biggest
1: accomplishment uh falling in love Mm. yeah i've been waiting for it for a lifetime and i've loved a great deal and i i love a great many um a wonderful extended tribe that i care deeply about but truly falling in love was something that eluded me and it was only my fault um I was with amazing humans and have met amazing humans in my path, but I, I couldn't open myself to love until the work that I've done allowed me to do so. And I happened to to be in it today, which is what a great gift. I love it.
0: Uh, And selfishly, my last question is as someone as myself, I'm 30 years old. I'm wondering what would be your biggest piece of advice to the 30 year old you? Hmm.
1: Don't I mean I'm well, the easiest thing would have been at 30, I was finding meditation and I was investigating on my seeking path, therapy, et cetera. So I wish that I had done some of the chemical work with plant medicine back then, that it took me, you know, another 20 years to do. Um that would have been the shortest path to where I am today, faster. Um, but I think that I don't know if that's the that might that might be too much of a cheat as a quick answer. Um I would say that the greatest advice I would have had at 30, which I'm not sure I was ready to take, which is you know, you've got everything you need, you need to trust that. You've got all that you need to be successful, you've got all that you need to be happy, and it's not outside, it's inside. And that was the process that I wasn't really believing in at the time. I can definitely resonate with that.
0: Uh, Keith, I just want to acknowledge you, man, for the way that you show up in the world. Um, you know, my experience spending that week with you was really profound and powerful. And I'm just really grateful to have you as a guide in this, in this human experience. And you just continue to innovate and and push through boundaries and prove that the sky is not the limit and that anything's possible. And I just really appreciate your vulnerability and authenticity every step of the way, brother. Uh, Where can we get the new book and where can we connect
1: with you? Where can we support you? Yeah, my team does a beautiful job of feeding a community of folks who want to be a part of this journey of co-elevation. So I would go a couple of places. The first place you could go is actually just to coelevation.com. We give a lot of cool stuff away there to entice folks to follow us and be involved with us. The only thing we really have to sell to you in the community, I think we developed a course or two along the way, but mostly it's uh, it's our books as they come out. We want to make sure that we get that intellectual property into your hands so that if you follow us, then we make sure we feed that community and let you know when new books are coming out. Um, So Leading Without Authority can be bought anywhere, of course. Uh, It's been a great seller, and I think it's going to be one of my best books. I'm really excited about it. But take a look at KeithFerrazi.com. Farrazi Greenlight is my corporation, so that's FarraziGreenlight.com. But I think the word that I just want you to think about is Coelevation, Coelevation.com. And, and bringing that into your life and let me be of service to you to help you find that in your life as I'm still you know looking forward to helping find it in my own. So a dear friend of mine passed away this past year. His name was uh, Tony Shea. Tony Shea was the founder of Zappos um, and founder of many, many things. He was such a, a curator and innovator. Um, but what he did was he awakened the world to how every human in the workplace has an opportunity to be elevated if they would tap into their own specialness. And that's what Zappos was founded on, truly founded on. And Tony invested in so many companies that were also founded on that principle, including one of my own. Um, He passed away. And my foundation has um, uh, worked with the, the, uh, the Shea family and also uh, Tony's closest advisors and friends um, uh, in his life and in his business, and we've created the Tony Shea Award. And What I'd like to suggest for your community is a couple of things, if you don't mind. Um, If any of you is a leader that is deeply proud of something you're doing to elevate humans and help humans find their their greatest um, self, and as a result, that translates into productivity and business success, um, then I would love for you to apply. And what you would do is just go to the thetonysheyaward.com, thetonysheyaward.com. And um, there's an application there. It doesn't take very long. Um, and the winner um, will be awarded the Tony Shea Award at the TED conference. We're actually going to be voting on the winner at TED, and the winner will be invited to uh, hold a seat at TED, and will be invited to hold a seat at the Summit Series. Think about all of the places that Tony walked. Um, this winner will be able to walk in his shoes and be welcomed as a thought leader, as Tony was at all of these places. So we're very much looking forward to, and it can be any single individual that is doing something extraordinary with members of their team, members of their organization. You don't have to be Zappos, you don't have to be a major CEO, but you have to have cracked the code on something that we can all learn from. So, very much would look forward to uh, Jeremy, if you don't mind, doing beating, you know, beating the drum and and helping us get more and more applications in for the Tony Award, uh, Tony Shay Award. Um, we're going to be, the TED conference is only in August this year, so we've got, a, we've got a call right now. The month of June is when we would ask you to submit your applications. It's a very simple application, and we'll be making our decisions on finalists in, uh, in July, and then we'll be voting on them at TED. So anything you could do, Jeremy, to really beat the drum for uh, applications would be much appreciated. For sure we'll put the link in the show notes and i'll
0: definitely uh definitely push that in my stories on instagram and yeah that's that's a great opportunity to honor honor somebody who made such a great impact and i i remember i can't remember the name of his book but it delivering, talked about the, delivering happiness yeah delivering happiness exactly and and that company culture i feel like shifted the trajectory of so many other companies and organizations so appreciate you keith And uh, again, brother, thank you so much for everything you do. And um, I am committed to supporting you with the Tony Award and getting as many
1: applicants as possible. Awesome. He's a great man. He deserves, his legacy deserves to live on. Thanks, Jeremy. Cheers. Yes, sir. Mm,
0: Thank you, Keith. I appreciate you, brother. Fam, you already know what time it is. It's time to co-elevate and thrive. Let's get it. Oh my goodness thrive tribe I don't know about you but that conversation with Keith Ferrazzi left me so inspired because this man has accomplished so much in his career he's overcome so much in his life and he continues to grow he continues to learn he continues to remain humble in this process and that's one of the things I admire most about Keith and if you got value from today's show, if you got inspiration from today's conversation, please let us know on iTunes. Leave us a review. It helps so much. It helps us impact more lives and touch more people. So if you want to do something good for humanity, it would mean the world if you took a few extra seconds out of your day to leave a review, share this show with a friend, and let Keith and I know what was the biggest takeaway you had from our conversation. All of Keith's socials are linked in the show notes. So definitely check out his work, order his books. This guy is a wealth of knowledge. Anyways, fam, I appreciate you. I can't wait for you to hear our next episode coming out with a very, very special guest. So stay tuned for that, fam. I love you so much. And you already know what time it is. It's time to take ownership of your life and thrive.